Um, Paul asked me to just share some thoughts on the theme of my book, and I haven't spoken with you since uh, that came out in April. Uh, the title is An Unhurried Life, and the subtitle is Following Jesus' Rhythms of Work and Rest. And uh, uh, I am finding that Jesus was not satisfied with my just writing the book. He seems to be interested in my learning how to live it as well, which uh, sometimes feels like meddling uh, just a little bit. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story about that. Um, Last weekend, we were coming home from family Thanksgiving. How many of you went somewhere for Thanksgiving, had some kind of a family Thanksgiving? A few of us? Yeah. So I grew up in Sacramento, and uh, my wife and I, Jim, uh, we've been married 28 years And all but about two or three of those, we've gone to Sacramento for Thanksgiving. My mom's there. My dad's there. My younger uh, brother, my younger sister, their family, uh, so on. So we we got up there. um, And our family is such now that we are too big for any of the vehicles we own for any further than a very short trip. I'm the middle height guy in our five-person family. Uh, Sean's here. He's 21 and he has a beard I still couldn't grow at 52, okay? <laughs> and then Brian is here, and he's got a beard. I, I might be able to grow his beard, but he's 18, so that, that seems inappropriate. And then there's me, and then there's Christopher, our youngest son at 15, and then Jim. And we're, uh, the, us guys are kind of big, and we only have four-seat sedans. That is not fun for 450 miles. Uh, for three of us to be in a back seat, for example. So I flew up, Jim flew back, and uh, the other one drove the, uh, the other leg. We were coming home Saturday, uh, therefore I was driving, and the three guys, actually I drove maybe 50 miles. My oldest son, Sean, at 21, drove 400 of those miles, which is very, there's, there's a plus to kids getting older. That's one of them. And uh, we, we timed it so that we would hit uh, Long Beach Airport, when Jim's plane landed, literally got off the exit when her plane touched down. It was very cool timing on a seven-hour trip. And we got her and grabbed her bags and squeezed her in the back seat for the 45 remaining minutes home. Got home, and we opened the front door. And, of course, if you've been on a long trip, you're, th- you're thinking things like, I can't wait to be at home in my bed, you know, on my special chair. And watching my TV and doing, you know, what, you know, your home, all those home feelings. We opened the front door, and I heard what could only be described as somebody showering in our house. Who is taking a shower in our house? Nobody's staying at our house in the four days we're gone. I'm thinking, is it, is it a homeless guy? Is it a, <laughs> is it a neighbor? You know, do we have a rash of showering burglars, you know, coming through the neighborhood? This loud sound like someone's showering in the downstairs bathroom of our house. So I, I start to walk back there to investigate, and pretty soon, squish, 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 squish. I mean, this carpet is soaked and with a layer of water over the carpet. And I'm thinking, this is not good. I'm very astute in these sorts of things. I, I pick things up very quickly. And I squished my way into the bathroom, which had about an inch of water sitting in it. And there's no evidence of anything going on. There's no leak. There's a louder sound, like somebody's showering, but there's no leak. And I'm looking, and I'm looking. Finally, we shut the water off to the house, you know. On this theme of an unhurried life, 
you, you don't unhurry your way to shutting the water off if you find a leak. Just in case you were wondering if there's some times when hurry is appropriate, this would be one of those times. So shut that off. I got two neighbors who are a little bit smarter than I am when it comes to stuff like this. Guy across the street's a contractor, and I said, what do we do? So I called a plumber. This is Thanksgiving Saturday. Nobody's available, unless you want to pay them an arm, a leg, and you know deeds to your car or something. There's no getting anybody out, except that we finally got a hold of the, the guy we rent this house from, and he called insurance, and they found somebody, and they came out late that night to start assessing what was going on. They finally figured out what we had was a wall leak, in-the-wall pipe leak. Any of you had this experience before? Yeah. Isn't it lovely? Yes, it's not. It's not lovely at all. <clears throat> and the last week has just been this journey of being displaced in our own home. You know, it's not home because you can't walk on the carpet and, you know, squish, 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 squish. And night one, they put nine floor fans out and a dehumidifier. Man, this is one mega monster unit, this thing sucking water out of the air. And they run constantly. That's a wonderful sound to hear, 24-7. <coughs> Let's just say I had a deep temptation to hurry inside. Uh, soul hurry, like anxiety. Any of you ever deal occasionally with anxiety? No? Yes? Occasionally, just here and there? This kind of thing just sort of ramps my anxiety up to about 6,000 RPMs. You know, how am I going to solve it? What am I going to do? You know, are they going to figure it out? And then the, the, the insurance adjusters and all these uh, contractors start coming, and they start talking about asbestos. I had no idea. And so suddenly now they have to test, and they do a little thing. You know, like they take three steps, and then they test. And then they look somewhere, and then they test. Like every step requires a 24-hour test. And now we're going to look at the wall. Oop, now let's test. So I don't know how much we got done this last week. We got a lot of testing done, I'll tell you that right now. But uh, we've still got lots of holes in the wall and mostly dry carpet. And, uh, and I'm supposed to speak this weekend on an unhurried Christmas. <laughs> let's just say I, I had done some preparation, but I usually do most of my preparation the week before I speak. This has not been the most ideal week to prepare a message on anything, let alone what, what's it like to have an unhurried Christmas. But in the midst, um, it's been good for me to think about the graces. Um, see, the thing is, we're going to talk about this morning about Jesus, the one who calls himself Emmanuel, right? Which means, anyone? God with us. I wonder, has he been with us this week? Of course he's been with us. Has he done the things I'd like him to do, like magically snap, you know, and make it all better? No, he hasn't done that. Has he made the, uh, the repairs and, and that process as efficient as I would do it if, if I were managing it? No, actually he hasn't. But he's been God with us. I was thinking this morning, what if this happened to my friend Beatrice? Beatrice Audu, who's a pastor in Jos, Nigeria. Would he have people coming and knocking on his door every day with all these levels of expertise there to help me and try and solve it? No. No, he wouldn't. 
they would do the best they could with what they had, and they'd figure it out. And I've got all these people who may not be doing it as well as I'd like them to do it, but they're still working on my house. So, so it's in the midst of this kind of a week and just the feeling of being displaced and this morning waking up to nine fans, thanks, and a dehumidifier still running. Not exactly the early morning solitude and silence I like when I get up early in the morning. So I'm just having to adjust inwardly to what will it look like for me this month with these repairs that may go on for more, weeks more. What will it look like for me to live an unhurried Christmas? Is it even possible? And I think it probably is. I want to share with you some verses that have been helping me this week. They actually come from my wife who was preparing for a day retreat that ended up getting postponed. And I want to read to you a couple of them, this slide here, of Isaiah 7, verse 14, and Matthew verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Isaiah says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. What kind of a sign? Well, it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Then the Matthew passage is where we see it happen. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which we've already said means God with us. When does Isaiah make this prediction? When does he proclaim that there is a child who will be born of a virgin coming? About 700 B.C. That'd be like something happening in your life today that somebody talked about back in the 1300s. Can you imagine that? That something happens in your life right now, but somebody 700 years ago was talking about it. It's kind of hard to imagine. It kind of says God's a, a little bit unhurried in the way he does things, doesn't it? I mean, if I was going to proclaim something that should happen... I might wait a week or two. I might wait a month. Maybe there's some things that require a bit of preparation. Maybe it'll take a year. I don't have any plans currently that will not happen until the year 2700. There's nothing in my long-range plans for 2700. But God has a big plan. It's so good... It's so beautiful, it's so intricate, that it takes time. It is a kingdom. He's interested in doing more than just fixing my little today problems, like slurpy carpets and wet drywall. If there was ever an oxymoron, there it is, wet drywall. He actually has a plan that includes me, that involves me, that involves you. But it's so much more vast. And it is a beautiful plan. It is a kingdom that is coming that will reflect the goodness and the beauty of his will. And it will be reigned over one who is called Emmanuel. The one who comes to show us exactly who God is and what God is like kind of amazing. 
we have an unhurried God. In my experience, it is my inner hurry that causes me to become forgetful of the reality of Emmanuel. Christmas season. On the continuum from unhurried and relaxed to hurried and frantic. What is it like for many people? Real relaxing? Easy time of year? Nothing going on? Or, i got to buy those stupid gifts. And i got to run around everywhere and make all these plans and attend all these parties and do all this stuff. Oh, no! There are a lot of people who feel more frantic during the month we set aside to remember this Savior than any other month of the year. Anybody brave Black Friday? I'm grateful not to see too many hands go up. Or it's ugly step-cousin Black Thursday? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Now we've got a Black Thursday. It's not Thanksgiving. No, no, it's Black Thursday. How much unhurry do you think is happening on Black Friday in those lines of people, in those frantic, crazy stores and malls? Not much. How much thought about this Jesus, this unhurried Savior, who has a plan so vast that it requires centuries to put into place and to prepare? Not much thought to that either. And yet this unhurried Savior has you in mind. Your circumstances, your challenges, your hopes, your dreams, your future. And he's actually including you for your very best good in his plans. And this last week where I would have loved for certain things to happen the way, you know, we were joking, uh, Jim and I. We were joking about, you know, how a number of things came together in the first 24 hours in terms of people coming and helping us that were sort of unexpected. And we were kind of thinking, can you think of any better ending to this first 24 hours? And one better ending I thought of was, we don't have a leak when we come home. You know, that, that one came to mind, you know. What does hurry look like for you in this season? I wonder. Any thoughts? If I were to actually ask you to think out loud, what are some of the ways hurry might look like for you or for, since many of you are young family, a lot of you have smaller kids, what does hurry look like in your life in this particular season? Anyone? Anyone dare? To describe it? Does buying gifts feel relaxing for you? Maybe for a couple of you. I think a lot of us kind of feel like, oh man, I'm not done and it's already whatever day. Or there's getting ready for all the parties, which are supposed to be really fun things. Ah, yes. Oh, there is that. Everyone got yours completely out, and that was really a relaxing, easy process for you, right? <laughs> just, this, is, this is the thing I'm, I'm finding, 
one of the things that makes this month feel so hurried is the long list of have-tos that we feel like we've got. Well, we have to, and now make the list. Well, we have to get a picture taken so that we'll have a card ready so that we can send it out by a certain date. And we have to buy gifts for all these people and their cousins and their second cousins once removed and all these gifts we got to buy. And we've got to have great, you know, parties and socials and we've got to go to that party. Well, we've been invited to that party and we've got to go to that party. Then there's my work party. I have to go to that because, of course, I work there. And there's this list of things that you have to do. And there's nothing that sort of accelerates my own inner pace than a long list of have-tos that don't feel like they're quite getting done. What happened to the idea that actually this month, when it's all said and done, is an opportunity to remember our Savior? That's what this month is supposed to be like. Now, I don't think the advertisers have quite picked up on that. I think they have a different set of priorities about this month. You know, that if you don't buy this item, PS4, my sons are sort of a little bit of drool is coming out the side of their mouth about that. You know, or whatever the latest toy is, that you have to have an iPad Air, you know, just a normal iPad mini won't do it. You've got to have the Air because it's this much thinner. It makes such a difference in your life. The improvement is immeasurable. Just that little eighth of an inch difference or whatever the specs are. You have to, and it has a slightly faster processor, which we all know on an iPad makes an immense difference in quality of life. Right? Really? This, all this have to? All this should? All this need to? Really? This is what's going to improve our life? Raise the level of peace? or joy, or compassion in us? I don't think so. I think maybe the opportunity to remember and to celebrate Emmanuel, that right now, in a unique set of circumstances you are facing, the joys, the celebrations, the fun, the challenges, the unresolved whatevers, of your life right now, in the midst of all of that, God is with you. He's with you like he was with Moses, who when he gets the assignment that he's supposed to go and rescue millions of people, he says, who am I? I can't do it. And what's God's answer? No, you're a great guy. No, really. No, you can do it. Really. You'll be fine. No, I, no he doesn't even say any of that. He just says what? I will be with you. I'd go to him and say, could we get this dumb house fixed so we could enjoy some holiday in this house and not have to have people coming in and tearing out wet drywall and, you know, deciding whether this carpet will be replaced or just cleaned and reset? And, you know, can, can we have these fans out of the house like yesterday, please? And he says, I'll get right on that. No, he doesn't. I think what he says is, Alan, I will be with you. I will be with you. Slow down. We'll get this taken care of, but what matters more is not the solution to your circumstances, but I will be with you. What difference would it make for you if that awareness of I will be with you were stronger and higher for you in the moment-to-moment in exactly what you're dealing with right now? Wouldn't that help?
even if the circumstances, the ones you don't like, didn't change much yet or for a while? What if he was just Emmanuel? And what if we could remember that in this season? There's a couple of other verses that I've been finding really helpful. We read the one, it's the one that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called these great titles. He's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father, and he's prince of peace. And then we have this line from Mary's response to the announcement that she is going to bear this Emmanuel, this mighty one. It says, she says, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So look at these four descriptions of this Emmanuel, this child who is born, this this one who will be with us. He's a wonderful counselor. What do you think of when you think of a counselor? It's a word we use for a legal representative. I don't have a lot of thoughts about that, but I've been seeing a counselor for a few years. He's a wonderful counselor, actually. I've referred a lot of people to him because he's helped me so much. But he's kind of a wonderful counselor with a little w. You know what I'm saying? Maybe some of you have benefited from counsel of different kinds. Counsel for yourself, counsel for your marriage, counsel for your business, consulting, whatever. You've had people give you counsel and it's helped you. Maybe you can think of people like that in your life. He is, capital W, a wonderful counselor. Where are you needing his counsel in your life right now? Where do you need him to come alongside you and say, Here's the way forward. Here's how you navigate where you find yourself. And I will be with you. He is a wonderful counselor. He's also the mighty God. He is not overwhelmed by what overwhelms me. Can you hear that? He is not overwhelmed by the things that overwhelm me or that overwhelm you. Do things ever occasionally happen that feel a bit overwhelming? Ever? Never, really? This group, never, nothing ever happens that surprises you or, or that feels like more than you can maybe handle in that exact moment. These things happen to me. I have a very short response time to, to stuff I don't like. I react. I react with anger sometimes. I react with frustration. And anxiety is an old friend. I have a master's degree in anxiety. <clears throat> you know, I grew up in a family with a mom who lived her childhood in an orphanage. And if that doesn't train you in anxiety, I don't know what will. And so she was one of my mentors growing up in anxiety. I'm not blaming her for anything, just speaking realities here, you know. And and so it's just just sort of this knee-jerk, automatic reaction inside of me to a lot of things, especially unwelcome surprises, like someone showering in your house when you get home from Thanksgiving and then finding out that's not what it is. He is the mighty God. He is not overwhelmed by what overwhelms me. And he's not using his mightiness for my purposes. He's using his mightiness for his purposes. And his purposes are really, really good. 
He is the Prince of Peace. That's one of those titles that sounds very Christmassy. You've got all those carols that have Prince of Peace in it and such. But think about that. A Prince of Peace. It's kingdom language, isn't it? Princes are kingdom people. He is a Prince of Peace. He rules in peace, with peace. This is one that I've been needing a lot, especially this week. He is for me in a very anxious window of time, a Prince of Peace. He can guard me so that I don't become overwhelmed by anxiety, but that instead I live guarded by and ruled over by His peace. And it seems to me this second passage, this line is in some ways, it's, it's a response of Mary to this one she will give birth to. As she considers this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, how does she respond? What do you hear in the lines? You, you understand, right, that this is not going to be an easy journey for her. You know the story, right? She's going to be accused not of having a pregnancy that's the normal, you get married and then you have a baby sort of order of things. She's going to be accused of inappropriate behavior. And all the evidence points to that and not to some sort of unexpected, holy, spirit-conceived it's like, really, Mary? Really? That's, that's how you're going to spin this? And even as she considers what this will mean in her life, she says, the Mighty One is holy. He has done great things for me. His mercy extends to all of them, all of those who fear Him, not just in my generation, but every generation. So, she acknowledges God's goodness, God's holiness, and God's mercy in the midst. <coughs> a few weeks ago, um, I met a guy who's a reporter for the Christian Post, and we were having a conversation. And he's going to do an interview with me about the book. And one of the things he asked if I would do is think about a top ten list for how to enjoy an unhurried Christmas. So Jim and I had fun sort of thinking about this and, and thinking out loud about it. So I'm going to give you this and just talk briefly about them. And what I'm hoping is that this will not feel like a to-do list that's, uh, or like 10 more things, 10 more items to add to your already too long to-do list, but rather that these will be some different ways you might consider approaching these upcoming weeks from a different spirit, uh, maybe with a more unhurried or relaxed or peaceful heart. And so I hope nobody in this room will try to do all 10 of these. You know, please don't try to get a 4.0 in unhurried Christmas. Okay? Get a C average on this, and, and you'll be in good shape if, if you could just do that. All right? So here they are. Number 10. I would encourage you to in, consider enjoying a few sips of your morning coffee sometime, or maybe you're a tea drinker. Uh, for five minutes without doing anything other than enjoying the moment. How many coffee likers? Okay, a few of us. How many of you prefer more on the tea side of things? Not so much. Maybe one. 
I like both, but lately one of the things I've been really enjoying, my latest unhurried hobby is roasting my own coffee beans. Got this little stovetop, whirly pop, popcorn maker, and I'll put about eight ounces of beans in, and I've gotten pretty good at it. And so I get to enjoy this wonderful cup of coffee in the morning. And so just sitting in my favorite chair, which is the largest recliner Lazy Boy makes. It's called the Grand Canyon. Okay? I, it was a gift for me on my 40th birthday a dozen years ago. It's still my favorite chair. I can recline in it, though I don't do that in the morning or else I go right back to sleep, you know. But it, I can recline, and as tall as I am, I don't reach either end of it when it's reclined. It's very cool. But when it's upright, it's a very comfortable reading chair. And so I'll have my coffee, and I have a window right here, and it kind of looks out on the morning. I can kind of see Saddleback uh, through that end of the glass door. I can see our, our, our yard and sometimes the hummingbirds going uh, to our feeder right about then. I just enjoy a few moments. I'm not trying to multitask, drink my coffee, and maybe quickly get the devotions done, maybe sort of in the back of my head, plan the next few work things that I'll work on. Just take a few sips of morning coffee or tea for five minutes without doing anything other than that, and just enjoy. Number nine, consider taking an evening walk. Maybe it's a morning walk, but take an evening walk in your neighborhood and enjoy the decorations that may be up. Make it a stroll. We're not going for how many houses can we catch in 10 minutes. You know, we're not going for quantity. We're going for quality. Make it a stroll. Feel the crisp air in your face. Engage all of your senses. I find that walking helps me. We talk about the Christian life as a walk with God. Then we try to live it at a run. You really can walk sometimes. You really can. It would be okay to take a walk. Number eight. As you're preparing to buy a gift for someone, slow down enough to ask yourself, what would they enjoy? What would bless them, encourage them, enrich them, help them? See if you can resist the temptation to make gift purchasing an exercise in efficiency, but rather as an offering of love. I'll just tell you, my temptation is, okay, I've got nine gifts I have to buy. I have to buy for them, 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 them. Let's see. Target gift card, target gift card, target gift card. Man, we're done. Nine minutes, world record. Yes. You could do it that way, you know, and turns out my boys love cash, so, you know, they, it's not so bad for them. But to actually take a few moments and, and let yourself ask, what would bless this person? What would I love to be able to give them and see the look on their face when they open it? It doesn't take that long to dream about that, to make it a moment of conversation with Jesus even. What would this son of mine really enjoy? And this son, who's very different than that son, this guy's an extrovert, that guy's introvert, this guy's somewhere in the middle, this guy loves sports, this guy's Mr. Creative, this guy's somewhere in the middle. Okay, you get the point. What, what would bless them? Take a moment, slow down enough to ask yourself that kind of question. Number seven. When you're buying these gifts, slow down enough to look a salesperson in the eye and thank them for their help. Bless them in the midst of what is a 
what is a likely or what is likely a very frantic season for them. This is something I've been trying to do more of. Just pay attention to the person I'm talking to, that there aren't any just utilitarian people in my life. You know, the guy who's checking out my groceries is actually a real person with a real life and real concerns. And I'm not just trying to run past him to get to the important stuff in my life. I have maybe only 60 seconds, but I could actually look him in the eye and tell him thanks. I could actually do that. I might actually bless him or her by doing that. See if you can't find ways to bless people whose job is especially hectic this month. Just pay attention. Notice the people. In, this, in the spirit of this one, I want to just touch something that I, I wrote about in the book because I think one of the things that really has a way of accelerating our inner pace when it comes to Christmas is something that Jesus says. It's really the opposite of something Jesus says. In Luke 12, verse 15, I don't have this on a slide, but I just want to read this to you and listen. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he unpacks it by saying, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Remember that phrase? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That is exactly the opposite of what most ads tell me. Actually, the ads say, your life will be abundant if you own this. And then the other advertiser says, no, your life will be abundant if you own that. The message is, life actually does consist in the abundance of your possessions. But how many of you have bought something that six months later still is just... <gasps> Not often. That's not what life is about. I wrote this in the book, in the chapter where I commented on this verse. I said, a good life, a rich life, an abundant life does not consist in having more material goods. But I live in a culture that is based on the assumption that this is exactly how our lives get better. And because this is a deep cultural assumption, I rarely question it even though it drives me to work harder, to make more money, to acquire more goods, to have what I assume is a better life, the drive to possess is an engine for hurry. And this month has a way of just sort of accelerating that, hitting the gas pedal on that dynamic. Remember, that is not what our lives consist of. More possessions does not equal more life. Newer possessions does not equal fresher life. They're just possessions. Life is somewhere else. Life is in the midst. Number six, consider sometime in these holidays to give yourself the gift of one morning to wake up without an alarm clock going off. Now, I write that one understanding that some of you have an alarm clock called a child. Okay, so I understand that one. Maybe for you it's a nap and maybe your partner gives you the chance to sort of get a nap, but somehow or another, give yourself the gift of just being able to sleep. See if you can't arrange things between each other to get one of those kinds of times. 
a lot of us are sleep deprived for a lot of reasons. And maybe somehow this month that would be something to consider. Number five, take a moment at the end of a day to think back over it. What are you grateful for? Say thanks. What was hard in that day? Ask for help. What do you wish you did differently? Ask for forgiveness. There's a, a, the, the simple way of talking about prayer are just simple words like thanks, help, sorry. And it doesn't require multiple paragraphs. But at the end of the day, take a moment, slow down, and look back over the day. Where were the gifts of grace that you can be grateful for? Where were the tough places where you stumbled, where you sort of you did something you wish you hadn't done? And you'd like to say, well, I'm sorry about that. Or I need some help if I'm going to do this differently, or I'm going to navigate that situation. Number four, take the opportunity to spend a little time with someone whose needs are greater than yours. Those needs might be financial, emotional, physical, etc. The little church that we're a part of, uh, it's called The Following. It's a very small community. You guys are a mega church compared to this bunch. And one of the things that we do is we have our gathering on Sunday evenings so that on Sunday mornings there is a residence hotel over in Santa Ana, not too far from here, kind of more 405, 55-ish. And we, our church cooperates with a few others to put on a church service for homeless, car homeless, kind of on the edge of homeless folks who live in this particular hotel. Every time I go, when I first started going, I thought, you know, this is about me doing a good deed. Aren't I a great guy? Look at me, setting aside Sunday mornings to bless these less fortunates than me. Just, I'm just so amazing. And then I started thinking, well, maybe actually it could just be about me kind of living Jesus and, and actually having a friendship with these brothers and sisters, because it turns out they are also followers of Jesus like me. And I could learn how to just enjoy that. And more recently, a few of us were talking, and we were beginning to realize, actually, maybe Jesus' agenda for this is, is that we might be able to see Jesus in the lives of these people. And maybe it's not about us at all. And it's actually not much about what we bring, actually. And so those opportunities to be able to be with someone and, and to realize the needs you have, the frustrations you have, well, they're real, but maybe they're on a different scale than the needs and the concerns of others around us. So to take that opportunity to spend a little time with someone whose needs are greater. Number three, at a Christmas party or a holiday gathering, be more present to others by listening well to what they are sharing. Ask questions that express interest and care. I don't know about you, I'm an introvert. I find being in sort of small talky social situations a bit mind-numbing. I, I run out of that kind of fuel very quickly. But if I listen, if I pay attention, if I be present to the person I happen to be talking to and ask questions, I find that it becomes energizing. I become curious about that person. It's not about seeing if I can make sure to have a little chat with everybody in the room. But at least give yourself the opportunity to talk to somebody and listen well to them. Maybe it's not at a party. Maybe it's not at a gathering. Maybe it's just some situation where you're having a conversation. See if you can't be fully present to that person. Number two, take a moment sometime over the course of this month to just sit 
Maybe it's that uh, after you take those few moments with that sip of coffee and just read the story about Jesus' birth. When I read this now, uh, it's hard for me not to think about our visit to Bethlehem a year ago in March where we were able to stand up above the shepherd's fields and see some of the buildings that those early Christians would have seen as being where the sheep uh, stayed for the shepherds and where perhaps the cave where Jesus was born was located. Who knows for sure if it is 2,000 years later. But there's something about just realizing this is a real event we're talking about. It's not just in a land long, long ago and far, far away. This is God with us. Not just God with us 2,000 years ago, but God with us now. So maybe give yourself a chance to read that story with that in mind. And then finally, in the spirit of our morning, remember what the uh, prophet Isaiah said when he described Jesus as a child who would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the question I would have you ask yourself when you consider those four descriptors is which of those four do you think you need the most right now in your life? Which of these four ways of relating to God do you feel most need for? Do you need counsel? Are you facing something that's puzzling, frustrating, don't quite know the way forward in it? Maybe you need him as the wonderful counselor. Is there a place where you're feeling a bit weak or a bit threatened? Mighty God might help. Maybe it's just that sense of an everlasting father, an Abba, who's always there, who knows who's interested. Or finally, maybe there's been lots of opportunities for anxiety or worry in your life, and you need to encounter him as the Prince of Peace. So my hope is as we move through the rest of this month, a few more weeks of Advent, a couple of weeks or so until Christmas, uh, day, that somehow this would be a season, an unhurried Christmas, that you'd enjoy these holidays, that you'd enjoy the music, that you'd enjoy good food, that you'd enjoy your family and friends, but that most of all, you'd enjoy Jesus, the one who is God with us, that you would somehow allow his unhurried way to season and to shape and to guide the way you move through this month. Would you join me and let's take a moment to pray? Jesus, thanks for the gift that it is. To know that whatever it is we are facing, whatever challenges cross our path, whatever lies on the horizon that's both, whether exciting or daunting, Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You really are God with us, always with us, God towards us, God for us. I pray that your spirit would help us remember, trust in this reality. Thanks for the gift that it is to be called yours. In Jesus' name, amen.